All the church said, please be seated. As you know, uh, we, we send you to the website for all kinds of things. Just a reminder that one of the things that you can get during our assemblies or before church on Sundays is you can get a copy of the sermon outline with all the notes. And typically, you'll remember, uh, it was a year ago that we used to do this, that we would hand out a sermon outline, fill in the blanks, and place for you to write notes. Uh, because uh, we're not passing out anything right now, we are providing these sermon outlines that are fully complete, ready for you to use. And you can print them out and bring them, or you can just look at them and uh, reference them later or whatever. But on the back side of it, we have the MPG. MPG in our culture means miles per gallon, and it's you know how far you can go. And taking that same idea, we want to take the sermons even further. And so the MPG doesn't stand for miles per gallon, but it stands for memorize, pray, and glorify. And so every week there's going to be a, a, a scripture from the sermon that uh, we're going to ask you to memorize. There's going to be a, a specific prayer or a type of prayer or some hints on forming your own prayer that we would like for you to pray during the week that's based on the message. And then the glorify section down at the bottom is really, uh, sometimes it's a practical thing that you can do every day of the week to bless somebody in the community or bless somebody in our church. Or it might be some questions, as it is today, to help you think through some of the implications and the ramifications of what we're going to be talking about in these messages. And so, with that said, we, we want to tackle the, um, the, the next one another passage in this series. You, you know, on the day that any human being becomes a disciple of Jesus and gives their life to God, there are a lot of things that happens to that person. They experience salvation. Their sins are forgiven. They're reconciled to God. They now have a new purpose. They have a new significance. They have a new identity. They have a new birth and a new life. They have a new destination from this life. There is another thing, and there, there are more, but there's at least one other thing that we don't really talk about a lot, and I think we need to emphasize more, is this particular thing. When you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, this word describes a part of your, your life, and it's this, belonging. You now belong. You and I belong. You and I belong to God as our Father, we belong to the church as our new family. You and I belong to something that's bigger than ourselves, and it's called being the body of Christ. Now, Paul talks about being the body of Christ in a couple of different places. Our theme verse for this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, Now you, meaning all of you who call on the name of Jesus, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul writes the same kind of thing to the church in Rome where he says, you know, in Christ, meaning those of us who are being brought into the body of Christ, though many we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And based on these two verses out of the Christian scriptures, we have this theme for this series on being the body of Christ. And it's this, all of us, all of us here make one of us. All of us make one of us. If you like to tweet things out, tweet that. Hashtag, all of us make one of us, Mac Church. And that is the truth. All of us together form one body of Christ. All of us, as different as we are, as diverse as we are, we should be so connected to one another that it looks like one. 
And that means two things. Number one, as the body of Christ, we do what He did. We do what He did. After all, we are the body of Christ. We do in this body of Christ what He did in His literal body in the world 2,000 years ago. And then secondly, not only do we do what He did, but number two, unity equals health. Unity equals health. Again, our diversity should be so connected that it makes us look like one body. But here's the thing. We live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, health is the miracle. Health is the miracle. In a physical body with all of its moving parts, tonsils and adenoids and elbows and knees and toes and ankles, with all of its moving parts, health cannot be assumed in a healthy body or in a human body. It has to be intentional. The same is true with the spiritual body, that is, the church, with its diversity of people, diversity of skin color, diversity of education, diversity of experiences, diversity of socioeconomic, diversity of this and that. I mean, you name it, we are as diverse as they come. The church cannot assume health unless that health is intentional. And that's why we have all of these one another passages and why Paul spent so much time writing about them. Intentionally knowing and doing the one another passages in the New Testament is one of the ways that the body of Christ experiences robust health. Now last week we tackled the very first one of these, which was, what does it mean to love one another? The church, as we said last week, should be the most loving place on earth. This room is filled with the most loving people on earth. That is the goal. Jesus said clearly and Jesus said directly that the world will know that we are His disciples when we have love for another as He loved us. And to move in that direction, a couple of practical things, right? The thing we looked at last week, number one, was you got to pray the me out of me. you got to pray the you out of you. One of the things that should stand out in any body of Christ is the high degree of humility and modesty, the high degree or or the high desire to get over ourselves in order for us to love people the way that Jesus loved us. And then the second thing, not only we pray to get the me out of me so that we become humble and servant-hearted, but we do love. We can talk about love, we can think about love, we can sing about love, we can even pray about love, but at some point we have to do love. And that means answering a very simple question in every circumstance, every relationship, and that is, what does love require of me to do in this moment right now? So, question based on all that. What is one of the ways that all of us can show love for any one of us? And the answer is prayer. It's what we call intercessory prayer. We're actually interceding for someone. We're speaking to God on somebody's behalf. A a, a simple, very short definition of intercessory prayer is this. Pray for people. That's what intercessory prayer is is about. Now, a fellow by the name of Richard Foster who wrote a book called Prayer, and and I, I... Uh, have have really been blessed by Richard Foster's readings over the year. He writes on intercessory prayer this way, and I quote, uh, 
if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. I'll say that again. Intercession is a way of loving others. When we move from petition to intercession, we are shifting our center of gravity from our own needs to the needs and the concerns of others. End of quote. So in 1988... Uh, within a year or so, the family was going to move to Brazil to be missionaries. Uh, our family was living in San Diego, uh, La Mesa, California, to be specific. One Saturday, with the weather being beautiful, there were a bunch of guys from the church that decided we wanted to play a little football at a park near a beach where we all lived. And because we were dudes, young dudes, and we were in California, we were playing barefoot. Big mistake. Two of us go for a pass, and we collide. My big toe on my right foot becomes embedded into the shin of my best friend at the time, Bruce Chase. I immediately sensed that the toe was shattered, which it was. My body went immediately to the aid of that toe that was hurting. My hands lovingly cradled the big toe and and protected it. My brain immediately sent a message to the rest of the body that the big toe was in trouble, while my mouth offered intercessory prayer on behalf of the toe, saying, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. My body did what a healthy body is supposed to do when a part of the body is hurt and needs help. Friends, uh, when we think about the, the maturity and the spiritual vitality of our church, this fact is true. Robust, intercessory prayer is a sign of a healthy body of Christ. What makes us healthy in one, in one aspect of our life together is our praying for one another. Praying for one another. My question is, how much are you as an individual contributing to the health of the body of Christ? Let's leave that for a second. I want us to think about one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. It's the 12th chapter of Acts. King Herod has arrested some of the disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem. He's intending to persecute them. Does not like the church, does not like the apostles. James, the brother of John, is put to death by the sword. This is one of the lead apostles put to death by the sword. Everyone in Jerusalem that, like King Herod, hates the church, hates Jesus, hates the members of the church, everyone starts applauding and saying, way to go, Herod. Well, Herod gets this big idea. He thinks to himself, why don't I keep this good feel vibe going, and I'm going to arrest the big fish and Peter, and why don't I execute him as well? Well, in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, so Peter was kept in prison. Herod gets him, puts him in prison, but, but the church was earnestly, that is, sincerely, continually, intensely praying to God for him. Now, the night before the trial, Peter is, is sleeping, which is kind of an amazing thing, that you know you're going to be executed the next day. There's no, there's no week or years on death row. Guilty, 
executed. Peter knows that he's going to be kangarooed into an execution, but he's asleep. He's sleeping between two soldiers, double-chained to each other, and there are sentries at all the entrances. And then in the middle of the night, while Peter is sleeping, the day before he's going to be executed, an angel wakes Peter up and says, you got to get up, you got to get dressed, and we got to get out of here. And Peter obeys, but it's truly surreal. I mean, Peter thinks that he's dreaming all of this. But once he's out on the streets of Jerusalem in the middle of the night, it's, he, he realizes at that point that God has sprung him from the jail. And so he thinks to himself, where can I go? Well, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the home of John Mark. And he goes, he finds that house, he knocks on the door. And what's happening is that the church has gathered in John Mark's house, his mother's house, and they're praying. It's the night. They haven't just offered up sort of this, this, you know, this, this 30 second prayer. They're earnestly, sincerely, intensely, continually praying for Peter through the night. That's an accessory prayer. He knocks on the door, and, and uh, Rhoda, who is the house girl, the, the handmaid, she comes to the door, recognizes Peter's voice, does not let him in. She goes running into the living room. Guess what? Peter is out of prison. What do you think? What do you think their response is? Oh, great, let him in. You know, no, their response is, you are out of your mind. Now, this is the church praying for Peter to be released. God answers the prayer, and they say, what? I mean, you can't make this up. The, the whole time, the answer to their prayer, a free Peter is knocking on the door, let me in. Well, they finally let him in. He tells them their prayer was answered, even though at first they didn't believe it. I have a lot of questions about this story. James wasn't saved, but Peter was. Peter escapes execution, but the ones guarding him do not. But Peter is saved. And the church is praying. The two big facts. And so I come away with one intercessory prayer principle for our church to take to heart. We pray, when we are praying for other people, when we, when we are praying in intercessory prayer, regardless of what that need is, we pray according to what is possible for God and not what is impossible for man. That is how a church has a robust, intercessory, healthy prayer life in which God is actively moving and working and blessing and leading that congregation. Praying for others is an important part. It is an incredibly important part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to be a part of the body of Christ. Listen to these words. Uh, some of these come from Paul. Some of these come from James. But Paul, in writing to a church in Ephesus about what it means that when you are in a spiritual battle and you got to you armor up for a fight against invisible powers that can overpower you. What is one of the things that he says? Verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You want to be a spiritual church? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
One of the signs that we have decided to be serious about the spirituality, not only of our individual life, but our brothers and sisters, is that we have dedicated ourselves to praying for people. Paul writes to uh, Timothy in Ephesus. He says, this is what, as you're leading this church, this is what I'm going to urge you to do. First of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession, what we're talking about right now, and thanksgiving be made for all people. James, in the, the passage that Bill read just a couple of minutes ago, he says point blank, these four words, pray for each other. Now, in that text that Bill read, there are a couple of things that, that this James, the brother of Jesus, wants us to think about in terms of instruction when it comes on how to pray to people. We'll go through these rather quickly. The first one is this. Be aware of people. Be aware of people. Be connected so much that it looks like one. And when you're connected that much, even in diversity, that it looks like one, you're going to become aware of people and not just people and their names and, and the details of their life, like where they went to college and their favorite football team, favorite recipe, those kinds of things. But you're going to know what's going on in their life. When you begin to be aware of people, there's going to be a call because we love one another to show that love in intercessory prayer. James says, is there any among you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is any among you sick? Then pray. The second thing is remember a core reality of prayer, and that is that God is love. We talked about this in, in January, that God is love. And because God is love, God wills our good. And the evidence is all over the place. And so in chapter 5 of James, verse 15 and the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. God is not reluctant to answer our prayers. He wills our good. And we go to Him on behalf of others for that good to bless them. And then the final thing is this. We, we pray. Pray. We pray. I think it's time for us to start a new tradition. You know, a lot of times when we have our conversations, in fact, many of us are going to have these conversations right after church. And somebody's going to share with us something that is on their heart. And we're going to say, I will pray for you. Let's change that. Not that we don't want you to pray later on, but let's change. I will pray for you to let's pray now. You know who the champion of that is? He's going to be embarrassed. He's probably going to tell me I don't have permission to, uh, to talk about him this way. Well, it's, it's John Skipworth. How many of you have been on the phone with John and you've shared something on your heart with John and John said, you know what, we're not getting off this phone until I pray for you right now. He is the poster boy of Let's Pray Now. And he leads us as a shepherd in an example of praying for people in that moment. Let's start a new tradition. Let's change I pray for you to let's pray now. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. 
Healthy churches are fluent in intercession. If someone is in pain, we pray for them. If someone is is hurt and brokenhearted because of a decision that they've made or a decision that somebody else has made for them, we pray. If someone is sick, we pray. If, If someone hears the roar of a giant threatening their life, we pray for them. If someone needs wisdom, we pray. If someone has derailed their life and lost their way, we pray. If someone is lost, we pray. But above all, we are a church that prays. Let's stand and sing.